Welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast, a podcast devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. Now join our host for today's episode and enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on Contending for the Word. Uh, this episode is going to be a good one as always, and I hope that, uh, well, we hope that it's informative and helpful to you. Uh, we've been talking about, um, in the past, we've talked about some some individuals that have had some uh, interesting and concerning teachings. And today on this episode, we're going to be talking about what a healthy church looks like and what an unhealthy church looks like. And so in order for us to understand what a healthy church looks like, um, unfortunately, we have to look at some examples of what an unhealthy church is. And so we're just going to look at a couple. I mean, <laughs> there's many that we could pull from, but we're going to look at three examples today. And um, Dave, as always, I'm glad to be on Contending for the Word, talking about these topics. And I know that our goal is to help others. So um, as always, we hope that you find this informative and um, encouraging, edifying, and um, practical in understanding maybe if you're um, trying to find um, a biblically sound church and you're not sure what to look for and you've come out of things like I have, some of the examples we're going to show, some of these seem very extreme, but these are things that are going on. Uh, if you're familiar with some of these practices and you're looking for a church and you feel lost or confused or don't know where to start, then we're going to help you to know the things to look for and uh, what not to look for in a healthy church. And then um, I also, as a side note, I actually have on a resource page on my blog on lovesubscribe.com, I created a page specifically for my target audience is women, but I, I created a page for those that were coming out of the New Apostolic Reformation, some of these movements, the New Age and others, but uh, specifically the NAR. And what I've done on that page is that there's the gospel on there, there's church finder links, that's the main thing I want to share with you on this. There's church finder links on there to help you find a solid biblical church um, to point you in the right direction. And there's lots of other resources on there, but you can find that at lovesixcribe.com forward slash resources. Um, I've compiled a lot of videos and book suggestions and things on there just to kind of help because when I was coming out of what I came out of with the NAR and the hyper charismatic, I would have wanted this resource. And so I created that resource to help others that were coming out. And one of the things I wanted to do was share the gospel first and foremost, and then find a help to find a church. So there's at least, I think, three links to church finders on there. You can find those resourceful, but enough about that. We're, we're here to talk about the episode, but I just wanted to mention that while it was fresh on my brain um, to, to kind of help. So anyway, no, that's 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 really good. And you know, one of the things that I'll just add to that is, uh, you know, if you're if you're listening or watch this podcast wherever it goes up, whether on Servants of Grace or on Don's YouTube and on her podcast as well, um, what we want you to know is you're not alone. You know, um, you know whether you need to find a biblical counselor or you need to find help with a church, we, we want to help you with that. We don't want you to stay stuck in, in where you're at. Um, right. We want you to, to, to find the help. So 
what I'm saying when I say that is let us know how we can help you. Um, I have an extensive network of friends who are biblical counselors, and they are at the ready to, to help you. Um, even even just recently, we've had somebody um, you know that's that's gotten in touch with one of my friends, and praise the Lord, um, they're already seeing massive amounts of growth. You know, so uh, we, there's just there's these testimonies out there of what God is doing, and and just connecting people uh, to to the right person into the right resource so so don't feel like you need to be stuck where you're at if, if you feel that way you know I want to just say you're not you're not don't don't just stay stuck in your situation um, you know come out from the false teaching come out into the truth of God's Word there's freedom and there's hope and there's actual help and we're just one of the ways in which we can help, you know, point you to the word and point you to the local church. You know, it's it's one thing to talk as we, we will about these matters, but it's another thing to put, you know, feet to action. And, and here at Servants of Grace, we're we're doing that. We, we believe very strongly in the local church and being a resource to the local church and and pointing people to to biblical truth and to the local church where they can be helped and to biblical counselors who will actually actually honor actually honor the word of god and actually counsel people with the word of god and so um i'll kick it back to don so we're going to be looking at a few examples today of um, an unhealthy church or practices that are taking place in the church. And then from there, um, in between, we'll be talking about uh, what does a healthy church look like? There is an article that I'll touch on a little bit later that I found. Um, it's from Tim Challies, but he was reviewing back in 2004 the Nine Marks uh, Church, if you're familiar with that. And they talk about the nine marks of a healthy church. Now, that they acknowledge that the nine marks they have don't encompass everything in there, that there could be other things, but they've highlighted the things that seem to have been lost over the years as far as uh, having that healthy church and what that looks like. But before we get into that, we have to cover some ground with some examples um, of things that are not healthy. So the first example we're going to be looking at, and these are all women today, actually, two women. Uh, and I'll just say this. I don't know if Dave will say it, but I'll say it. So what I came out of, Dave, um, it was not uncommon to, let's just address the elephant in the room as far as women are concerned. It's not uncommon for women in what I was involved in to preach and to teach the Word of God to a mixed congregation from a platform or a pulpit. Uh, I was allowed to do that. I would never do that ever again. I have repented of that because I, I realized that that is in error, according to Scripture. Um, it's out of order. Um, and I was having authority over men in doing such a thing, and that was, that was not right, um, according to what God has said in His Word. Now, can women teach other women? Yes, they can. Um, as far as when you're talking about a woman, if I'm understanding this, and you can correct me, Dave, um, a woman is not, according to Scripture, permitted to stand in a place of authority over men in a mixed congregation, um, and that is in a church service. We're not talking about a blog. We're not talking about YouTube. We're not talking about something that is not a church service, that is a corporate gathering of believers that are coming together to hear the Word of God be taught to them, to take up an offering, to receive communion. That's not what we're talking about as far as what women can or can't do, because I know some women would hear this and they would say, oh, you don't think women can do anything. That's not what we're saying because women have a role. 
but God has established an order for a reason. And we need to honor his order because if we don't, then we're rebelling against God. So if we have a problem with what scripture says, the problem is not with the word. The problem is with us. And so that's something that I had to face and I had to deal with when I came out of this movement and, and repent of that. Um, but women are not supposed to have that, that role. So we're going to see this actually today take place. That's one of the biggest things you need to recognize is, is a woman supposed to have this type of role of authority over the church? The answer is no, <laughs> they're not. Now, can women minister? Yes. And so that's another topic for another day. But women are able to proclaim the gospel, to teach in a certain capacity, and to, to serve in different areas. And that doesn't diminish their, um, their value, our value, our worth, or anything. We just want to a, a, acknowledge that God has an, a set order, and we want to honor that order and obey Him. So the first example we're going to look at is Catherine Crick. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Catherine Crick. There's a couple of there's a couple of clips that we're going to play from her today. And we just want to prepare you uh, beforehand that some of these are going to be difficult to listen to. Uh, I don't know, Dave, if you feel that way, but when I was listening to them, they were very difficult for me to listen to and very frustrating to listen to um, because of the gravity of what's going on. And this is the mark of an unhealthy church. Catherine Crick, if you're not familiar with her, she goes by the term apostle. I'm not going to call her an apostle. I'm just going to read from her bio, but she's not an apostle. So that's another thing right there. But on her bio, on her website for her ministry page, this is what it says. Uh, she encountered the power of God in 2013, shortly after moving to Los Angeles. This power was seen in witnessing deliverance, healing, and receiving prophetic words. As her eyes opened up to God's love like never before, she surrendered her life to Him, giving Him her dreams, her will, and her plans. Her heart burned for people to experience the power of God here in America and all over the world. Nine months after encountering God's power in 2015, she attended a conference where God used a prophet to prophesy to her. And this is what he told her. And this was Jor Davy. She doesn't say his name on her bio, but there's been a lot of videos done about her for the past few years that this is very problematic. He's a prophet in Africa. There's footage of her going to Africa. She calls him daddy. She says that uh, that she wants the America to know him in order for them to know him, that that's how they'll know Jesus. There's a lot of problematic stuff that she says in there. Anyway, this is what Jor Davy said over her. God has called you to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And she put big A, apostle, on her bio. You are called to reach the nations, and God will do many shocking miracles through you. She says upon hearing that word, or her bio says, she felt like Moses, unqualified, unable to speak, and unable to picture herself ministering. But she had faith that God would equip her, and she wanted to obey him above all else. She obeyed God's call, she says, and put her music career pursuit aside. With the leadership of the Holy Spirit, this is what her bio says, uh, she launched five-fold church in Los Angeles, beginning with church services on a mountain on Mulholland Drive in 2017. Apostle Catherine is the lead pastor of Five-Fold Church, where miracles happen and people are healed, delivered, and transformed as the prophetic anointing flows powerfully. Apostle Catherine is passionate about seeing people receive the power of God through the prophetic and apostolic ministry of Jesus, to see people set free, walk an abundant life, and be transformed into mature, anointed vessels of God. This first clip, <laughs> this first clip that we're going to play, uh, was from a service where she gave a prophetic warning 
And she continues to give this prophetic warning. She did, I think about a a week or two ago, she posted on her YouTube channel um, in print on on an actual post. And I have the screenshot I'll read to you after this just to reiterate it. But we want you to hear some of the clips from this. And we're going to discuss it after we listen to it. Now I'm going to to share this prophetic word that God has for the body of Christ and has for leaders in the body of Christ. It is not okay to just sit comfortably in your churches and not supporting what God is doing now. Not saying anything, not saying even hallelujah for a new move that God has brought. This is not okay. God is asking you to say something, to stand with God, to not try to stop his move anymore, like a ceiling that has been put over the move of God, trying to stifle the move of God. This move of God is going to reach the entire world. This move of God is not optional for the body of Christ. When it was time for God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt and then go into the promised land, God wasn't asking them if they wanted to come. He was commanding them and calling them, come, all of you. This revival is not just for some denominations. This move of God is not just for those who like revival and woo, revivals now, we like to say this. No, this is the end time revival for the entire body of Christ. And so just as it was a move of God for all of God's people in the times of Moses, just as it was a move of God for all of God's people in the Acts church, It is a move of God for all of God's people now. And you cannot ignore what God is speaking. You cannot ignore what God is doing. You cannot sit by comfortably and ignore it. God will do what he wants to do with or without you. But he's asking you and more than that, commanding you to come and be a part to acknowledge, accept, support, be a part. This word is for all leaders in the body of Christ. And this word is very seriously for the older generation leaders in the body of Christ. There's a principle of life and a principle in the kingdom of passing the baton. God wants the older generation leaders in the body of Christ to pass the baton to the new generation. It's not acceptable to stay quiet and hold on to the baton and keep going with the baton when God is saying, I'm calling you to pass it now. I want to read to you uh, the same. This is not a one-off, by the way. I'm reading this because I want you to see that she has repeated this message. She continues to repeat this message. And she's saying it's a prophetic warning for the body of Christ. Um, She posted this about a week or two ago on her YouTube channel. 
Prophetic warning for the body of Christ. Since 2021, God has been speaking to his body, including the leaders in the body of Christ, to accept his new move in the end time revival. In this new move, God is restoring and reviving what has been lost by and large in the church. His anointing, the power of God. She's saying the anointing has been lost. The power of God has been lost. His apostles and prophets have been lost. Deliverance has been lost, healing, miracles, signs and wonders. In this revival, God is purifying his bride, transforming it to be how the Acts church was going from glory to glory from there. And God has given the leaders in his body time to obey his voice and accept his new move. Time is running short. God's move will prevail and go to new heights no matter what. If the baton is not passed, and in parentheses, she has older generation leaders acknowledging and accepting his move and the new leaders he has raised up, which is her. <laughs> she's saying she's one of them, essentially. He will take it, the baton, in parentheses, by force. It is time now to have the fear of God. This is a prophetic warning. This is not something to take lightly. So it's problematic for one thing that that she is declaring a prophetic warning and she believes herself to be an apostle she's not an apostle she does not have the authority to claim such a thing she's not speaking on behalf of god this is the mark of an unhealthy church that's a it's abusive it's manipulative and what she's doing she's spouting off and regurgitating i'll just be blunt about it. she's re she's regurgitating things that, have, that are not new <laughs> That's the ironic thing about it. This is not a new move. This is something that has been talked about and prophesied for decades. It, it was in the latter rain movement. It's, it's swept over now into the new apostolic reformation. And it had gone on even long before that. I mean, even if you look at Alexander Dowie in the early 1900s, he was calling himself an apostle. He was calling himself Elijah. He was saying that he was the, the chief apostle and that he was ushering in the new move of God. And you see this in Azusa Street, that people were talking about the restoration of the apostles and prophets. It was being talked about long before Catherine Crick ever brought it up. So she is basically regurgitating new apostolic reformation talk, latter rain talk, this new move, the, the restoration of apostles and prophets that God had, that we've that lost the power of God how little of, a, an, of a, a view of God do you have to have to believe that the power of God has been lost and that he's no longer healing today as far as salvation is concerned, delivering people, that he still does physically heal people in their bodies. He still does miracles according to his will. How low, low of a view do you have to have of God and the Holy Spirit to make such a thing? And furthermore, she's standing in a place of authority that she does not possess. She's out of order. This is a mark of an unhealthy church. And what happens with things like this is that when you have leaders that believe they're apostles, and it can also be pastors too, and I, you know, Dave and I have talked about this before, this, the power play is not exclusive to the NAR. It's not. Spiritual abuse is not exclusive to the New Apostolic Reformation. It is in any part of life, in any part of the church, secular world, religion, you name it. Spiritual abuse happens. Abuse happens and manipulation happens. When we're talking in the context of New Apostolic Reformation, the power play is, is that you, if you speak against the apostle, then you're speaking against God himself. And that puts your eternal state at risk. And this is what she's doing. And this is not a prophetic warning. If anything, she needs to be marked and avoided 
and this word needs to be rejected flat out. And that's that's all I have to say about that. that that's that's a lot <laughs> right there uh, to say. And, and you're not wrong. I mean, no, notice notice the word new, but the word new in that sentence, it means new revelation. There's a new right. move of God. Where's the where's the Bible? Did you did you hear that she did she cite one verse of scripture? No, she she didn't cite one verse. She but she claimed that this is a new move of God. So so we can't even say that this is an implication. She is outright explicitly stating that God is speaking through her, giving her this new revelation because she is an apostle of God. We have the 66 books that constitute the word of God. If you want to know what God has said, you just have to crack open your Bible and God will show you what he said because it's right there. It's 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 in the word. 66 books, you know, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. There's plenty there. Uh, to know what God has actually said. We don't need a new move of God. We need to go back to what God has said, and what he said is reliable, it's trustworthy, it's without error, it's without the possibility of error, it's clear, it's it's binding on our lives, it's it's for our life and godliness, as Second Peter uh, 1 tells us. It's It's enough. And then, and then notice, though, contrast that, which is what the Bible says and what the church has taught, with what she's saying that, that we need this new move of God. We need this new revelation. Well, what we've talked on this show before, Don and I have, about false revival. And that's what, that's what this is. This is what this is all about. This new move of God needs to happen and people need to get aside. The older needs to move aside. Yeah. Instead, instead, what about learning from those, like in the Titus two way? You know, older men learning from younger men, and and older women um, t coming alongside younger women and helping them. So, but just push that aside. Forget that. Forget the older people. We have nothing to nothing to learn from them. Nothing. No, they can't be helpful to us. Uh, we just need the younger people to come in and take over and really, wow, okay, so uh, that's pretty arrogant and in and of, on its face. Uh, but, but the more problematic thing is just the view proposed of the word. Where, where is the centrality you know, of the word in the life of the local church? You know, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but this is what was so important about the Reformation was the word wasn't central in that time instead and i know some people don't like me talking about the catholic church and this isn't picking on catholics at all this is it some people have pushed back and said no what you're saying isn't true prove it i i'm not even uh, th this thing is 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 this isn't even a disputable matter the, the problem with the reformation was that the word wasn't central the people had to get the bible from the priest the, the Catholic Church withheld the Bible from the average layperson. That is why, as a matter of historical fact, why William Tyndale was killed. And by the way, in the William, William Tyndale's case, the very people who were trying to stop his work were actually funding William Tyndale's work of translation. Irony there, okay? And, and they tried to hunt and kill Martin Luther for doing the same 
exact work because Martin Luther was helping the people to get the Bible into their hands so that they could read it themselves and so that pastors could bring the word to the people so that they could know what the word says. That was that was the whole idea behind the conviction of Sola Scriptura and also the idea of expository preaching, opening the Bible, reading it, and explaining it, which we see, by the way, in the Old Testament in Ezra. Ezra opened the books of the law, and he explained to the people what the Lord has said. Jesus did the same thing. Luke 24, uh, 27, he interpreted the things to the people on the road to a man. To Emmaus, you know, from the Old Testament. That's that's what preachers are supposed to do today. In Acts twenty, we see this. By the way, Paul charged the elders at Miletus to preach the whole word. Uh, Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy four two, preach the word. Now, now, there, there's nothing wrong with the main diet of the church should be expository preaching, verse by verse preaching. But there's no there, when when I say that. I'm not also saying that there's not anything wrong with time to time doing a topical study, but the topical study doesn't isn't just bouncing around and picking a passage uh, out of nilly nilly like the Bible is a genie in a bottle. Even the topical message needs to be grounded in the text, walking through what the what what the scripture is saying and properly engaging it rightly. Um, now, some people, they, they have a problem with that. Some people don't. But the main diet, what I'm saying is, is that the main diet of the church should be expository, verse-by-verse, verse, sequential preaching through books of the Bible. This helps the people. But this is not what, this is not what we just saw. Instead, we're, what we're seeing is an unhealthy church. We're seeing this lady give a new revelation, a new word, a, a, a new whatever uh, because of a new move of God. Um, which is just about my feelings. Let's just be honest about this. It's about my feelings, about what I think, what I see. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with his word. It has nothing to do with the church. And that's that's pretty tragic because she's speaking to people in a church. She's speaking to people for whom you know, she should be caring for by loving them with the word. And she's not doing that. Um, James White says that that's a that's a criminal act, and he's not wrong because that's what false shepherds do, and that's why when you read the prophets like you know Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they they decry the false shepherds in Israel, and some of the strongest language in the Bible is directed at people who lead people away from God. Even Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah three fifteen says that God will give us shepherds after His own heart. So so if you're in a church like this, you can pray. And you can ask God, Lord, you're the chief shepherd over the church. Send me to shepherds who love your word, who love the Lord, and who are going to love me. That is a prayer that God will answer because it is his desire to send his people to shepherds who love him, who have been called by him, who are biblically qualified, male pastors. Um, the Lord will honor that prayer. He will send you. And maybe sometimes what that's going to mean is you have to move from where you're at to where there is a church like that. For some of you, that might be true. For some of you, that might mean you might have to put your preferences, certain non-essential doctrines, you might have to put those preferences to the side and put them to death 
so that you can be in a church that focuses on the essentials of the word, not the doctrinal, secondary, and third-order issues like the timing of when the Lord will come or you know, your, your preference about uh, other, other matters, worship styles, etc. Those are, those are not unimportant, but you might have to put those to death so that you can be in a church that, that is focused on the word and practicing the word. And you know what? That, that is sadly, it's becoming more and more the case. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing because we need to learn in that in those churches we're being challenged to love one another with the love of Christ and to not put aside our differences or our preferences, but to focus on what do we agree with and, and where, what is agreeable, what is right, what is lovely, what is what is good. And um, you know that that's that's an equally part part important part. Of being part of a local church loving where we can love one another where we're being grounded and taught and shaped by the word together um and and doesn't our world need more of that i mean we should be setting the example in that so anyway and i found it interesting too dave that in this movement, for example, with the the belief that apostles and prophets are being restored, there's an it and almost an ignoring of the fact that we are under apostolic teaching. Every time we open scripture, we're under apostolic teaching. Every time we read from the Old Testament and we read what the prophets are testifying of Christ, we are hearing prophecy. We are hearing this, and yet they will say, well, you just don't believe in the fivefold. You don't believe in apostles and prophets. You just have done away with them. No, I, I don't believe that they're needed today. We don't need new ones today because there's no need for new revelation today. And what Catherine Crick has done, and you pointed this out, she referenced no scripture, but she's, she's speaking from authority. So those people that would deny that the NAR exists and say, oh, there's no people, there's nobody that believes that they have uh, apostolic authority over the church. Well, this is a prime example. If we don't obey, in theory, if we don't obey what she's saying, then we're disobeying God, right? So we either take her word and we test it against scripture and we say, she's not an apostle. She's in a place of authority. She should not be. Let's let's not even let, let's not even forget the fact too, but forgetting putting aside that she's a woman. Let's look at the fact that she's she was a fairly young convert, if she is an even believer at all, when she began a church. Scripture, <laughs> what, is it in Titus or is it Timothy that, that the, the instruction is given in 1 Timothy? It's in 1, I mean, Scripture gives the, the instruction in 1 Timothy that a new convert is not to hold a place of authority. So putting aside the fact of her being a woman, that's disobeying scripture a new convert is not to be put in a place of authority so that they do not become conceited and puffed up and arrogant so we have a lot of problems here but someone who is saying this is a prophetic warning for the body of christ that's authoritative and then when you're saying you're an apostle a big a apostle you're not a missionary or church planter. I mean, she's making it very clear. She is a an apostle with authority, and she comes with signs and wonders and miracles in her in her wings to to verify that she's an apostle. Um, I, you know, 
I don't know how to get around the gaslighting that goes on. I feel like I'm being gaslit sometimes when people say that this this move doesn't exist. And then you have stuff like this that goes on. And I'm going, well, but that's what this person's saying. And then there's all this semantics and this wordplay that'll go on. Well, they don't believe they're really an apostle with authority. Well, she actually does. She believes that she's an apostle with authority. And so this is why we and others have addressed this. I mean, this has to be addressed. It has to be called out and exposed for what it is. And it's error. And she's and I, and I, I know I said I was done, but uh, she's she's not an apostle. And, and this is what I would say is what's ironic is that she needs to have the fear of the Lord. She needs to have the fear of the Lord in what she's doing. And she needs to be called to repentance. Um, and to be marked and avoided and to pray that she repents of her actions because this is dangerous what she's doing. And she's, um, she's blaspheming the name of God. She's assigning things to God he did not tell her. Um, she's um, usurping authority she does not have. She's standing in a place of authority she does not have. And she needs to repent and she needs to stop doing what she's doing. And I pray that she does that and those that, and not the, and not only in fact, she has 500,000 followers on YouTube alone. That's not including TikTok, which she's had, I think, up in over a million in, in TikTok. Um, so when you're talking about the social media um, influence, which in our day and time can be huge for some of these people, that matters because you're getting into a newer generation of people that the digital age is important to them. Technology is important. And if they're not hearing the truth of the word of God, which I, I'm all for, let's minister the word of God online. Let's minister and proclaim the word of God to all that would hear and that would turn to saving faith in Christ. You have a false counterfeit move that's going on that is pulling in people by the droves and is lying to people and deceiving people and telling them all the, and itching their ears, scratching their itching ears and telling them all the things that they want to hear. And people are lost because of this stuff. And they're thinking that they're seeing signs and wonders before their eyes and they're being deceived. This is why we talk about these things because it's, it matters because these are eternal issues. Proper theology matters. Doctrine truly does matter, and uh, and souls are at stake in this. Um, I I fully believe that, and that's why we're passionate about sharing. And I, I know, I mean, I'm passionate about because, and I feel a burden, in a sense, to to share these things and to talk about them, having come out of them. I can't be quiet, you know. Once you once you see this stuff now, and you understand, start to begin to understand what Scripture says. I can't unsee this stuff anymore. I can't unhear it when I've tested it against Scripture. And so um, it, it has to be drawn, it has to be talked about and exposed for out of love and concern for people. And that's, that's why we do this. No, that's, uh, I was just going to say, no, that's, that's really, really good. Um, really good. It's, and it's important to that, that you hear what, what Don said, because, you know, some people say this, this all of this stuff, it doesn't really matter, but I mean, five hundred thousand followers, a million followers on TikTok, even more. This, this, this thing that we're talking about, this went viral. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of people potentially heard this, saw this, this quote-unquote word, you know, if you will. For those of you that are listening, I used air quotes there with my with my fingers because they 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 heard this, they saw this, and and the thing is, is Paul told Timothy. 
in First Timothy four or no second. Let me say that Second Timothy four that that people will have itching ears. The reason that all these people are so attracted to this is because people want their ears tickled. They want to hear a man-centered message. They don't want to hear. They don't want to hear. This is what's in the Bible. So that's what's so appealing about these people is because they, they sound so appealing. But we're living in times when people don't even know the basics of the Bible. And they don't even know the basics of theology. And so, you know, we need to desperately counter these things. That's why we're, we do these shows. Is, isn't because we're, we're motivated by pride and to puff ourselves up and to congratulate ourselves on how knowledgeable we are about the Bible and then to put it out there uh, to congratulate ourselves and parade ourselves out as if we know every single thing about the Bible and about theology and about church history. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't even know that, and I have over a hundred credits at the master's level. Um, some people say, "Well, you have a master's degree, so you're a master of the Bible." It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the the master's of divinity is a general degree. It's a professional degree. You you get a lot of Bible and theology and a lot of everything, but it's still a generic degree. And even when you have a PhD in systematic theology, you have one sliver, one sliver. Uh, of of maybe mastery in one topic and even your level of mastery maybe lasts like a little bit because of the volume and the speed in which data and information comes out today so i mean give me give me a break on that you know the level of expertise you know at at the speed of knowledge and information that's coming out these days i mean and and then you have somebody like this who is promoting false doctrine um, hurtful doctrine, damaging doctrine to people. You know, how can we sit aside to the side and then people will say to us, you know, you're judging them. No, we're not judging them. We're holding them up to the standard of the word, to, to the standard that God himself has set. God has an objective, special revelation. We're not talking about subjective subjective is, is is relative to how i feel and to how i see it an objective special standard revelation is rather what god has said and what god means as he's defined it in his word so that's totally different than than what we're seeing with you know these teachers it's totally different, and it's absolutely vital that we understand that. I know, I know that using kind of that way of explaining things can be um, hard for some people to understand, but, but we're talking about – when we talk about special revelation, we're talking about absolute truth. And absolute truth absolutely matters in a time when many people are succumbing to subjective feelings and subjective truth, and that's why people like this are so appealing. Because they're giving their subjective opinion, and then, but also at the same time, what's confusing is they're claiming to speak from God for God, but they didn't. They didn't say this is where this is in the Bible. There was no mention um, of of Scripture, as I already said. Um, there was errant theology. Um, there's a new move of God. There's a new revival. There's a get out of the way of the older people. Things that. Anybody that has read the Bible knows that's not what God would ever say. And, and what, that's why we have to hold up 
as First Thessalonians 5.21 says, we have to test all things and hold fast to what is good, meaning that there is something true that we need to know, and that is only found in the Bible, and we're to test all teaching by the word. And furthermore, that's why that's what the Bereans did in Acts 17.11, right? They tested all things by the word of God, and they held fast to what is good. That's what the Thessalonians did as well. They were commended by Paul as well in 1 Thessalonians for receiving the word with gladness. Why? Because they heard it from Paul and they received it with gladness because it was, they realized, the word of God. So there is a, there is a difference, what I'm saying, between receiving what, what somebody says is true and you ask the question, is what they're saying Cohere with the word of God, because God will never lie, Titus 1, 2. He, will, he is always consistent within himself, and he will always act according to what he has already revealed in the word. So then we ask that question, is what this person's saying, is it true according to what God has already said in the 66 books of the word of God? And if it's not, then we do what 1 Thessalonians 5.21 commands us. We test all things. We ask the question, is this in the Bible? It's not. So we reject it, and we instead hold to what Scripture says. That's the, that's the central issue here. You have 500,000 of her followers who are not testing anything with the Word of God. You have other people who don't even begin to ask the question, is, is this in the Bible? They instead just receive it with gladness and joy as coming from God, but the problem is, is, is they're focusing just on receiving something that isn't of God. That's the danger, because they are biblically and theologically ignorant. Because they, they just want the feeling, they want the revelation, they want the experience, they want the journey. They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to walk with God. They don't. They don't want to. They don't want to know what God has said because they would rather have their ears tickled for a feel-good experience that's that's the problem that we're having here with these with these teachers and 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 by the way we haven't even got into some of the more egregious stuff that that we're going to talk about here so so do you want to say anything about what i just said don and then we should probably go on to the next clip <laughs> no i think everything i agree with everything you said it was really good and and that's why we talk about this and um i think it should lead us into the next example that we have we'll come back to Catherine crick in just a minute unfortunately uh but we're going to talk next about um lily java and this is someone i had not heard of very much uh, she's married to another man both of them believe themselves to be prophets um, his name's passion java but on her web, uh, ministry website, um, Lily Java calls herself a prophetess, and, and she was born and raised in Ethiopia. She moved to the United States in early 2000, um, and she is married, as I said, to, it's what it says on her website, to the well-known prophet, Passion Java. It says that Lily Java was called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a prophetess to the nations, one whom would operate with a strong apostolic anointing to establish churches all around the world. She ushers the sweet presence of God through her gift of worship, and she flows in the dimension of the gifts of healing. Um, and it says on her website, the Lord is using prophetess Lily Java to be a generational curse breaker. She is well known for exemplifying the love of God for the lost and broken. She has helped and motivated many individuals to understand their identity and calling 
and that she continues to work alongside her husband to raise and equip a whole generation for Jesus Christ and prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. They run, um, her and her husband both run and operate a ministry called Kingdom Embassy Church that has over 30 branches around the world with the main church and headquarters in Maryland. And it also tells on her ministry page that she also is known for her charitable work, uh, that she's the founder of the Lily Java Foundation that is dedicated to helping widows and orphans in different parts of Africa and the United States. So we're going to play a clip right now um, and talk a little bit about this, but this has to do with uh, giving and deliverance. So let's see what Lily Java has to say. A door being open, but I didn't see you walking in it. Prophesy. Sometimes a prophet can declare a word in your life, but because of, again, sacrifice and obedience, sometimes you still stay stagnant until, and then I find you in the same situation. Prophesy. Hmm? Prophesy. Prophesy, mama, go deeper. I'm going to declare a word over your life. Amen. For you not to walk single for too long. Amen. Prophesy. Because I'm here to declare marriage. Prophesy. I want you to receive your marriage breakthrough right now in Jesus' mighty name. Listen, the grace that's upon my life, God has given me keys to be able to give people keys. So that they're able to open themselves into a new, a new. I want you to be able to give birth Amen. to receive. something called relationship. Amen. And for that relationship to go into marriage. I receive. And for that marriage to turn into now you having beautiful kids. I receive. But there's contracts that I need to break. Amen. Prophesy. Huh? Prophesy. It's okay. Yes. Can I break it? Yes. 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 She said yes. You heard her, right? (laughs) Prophesy. Contracts are made with a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice being made against you and your family. Prophesy. But when you come and make a covenant with God now and you make your own sacrifice. Prophesy. You're saying release something, but you have nothing in your hands to sacrifice. So what are you going to sacrifice to God? Amen. For me to break every altar that has been speaking against your family. For me to break every altar that is saying she will move forward. She will not be happy. She will be in a place of loneliness. She will be married, but she won't stay married. There's a contract that is being written that you sleep, then there's visitations. You sleep, there's torment, dreams. Mm. Prophesy. Mm. Are you here? Yes. Prophesy. You want me to say it in your ears? Yes. Listen, what you're going through, a lot of women are going through it right now. I am praying for her as I am prophesying over her life. There's altars that are being broken right now in the mighty name of Jesus. But I don't want you to come here empty handed. Mm. If there are people that say there's altar that is fighting my family. I know there's an altar that is saying she can't get married. There's an altar that says she can't give birth. Physical baby. You can't, you can't get, you can't get pregnant. You try. There's barrenness physically and spiritually. If you are here, I want you to sow a seed. I want you to have a sacrifice in your hands. 
Are you here? Are you here? A sacrifice. Hannah had to sacrifice something. Are you with me? Amen. Do you know the number for birth? Papa said what? He just called me and said, for everybody to connect to the word that you just said, he said, have mama tell everybody to sow a seed for exactly what you said, word for word. And he said, of $1,500 to connect to this word and then bless them and pray for them. Amen. 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 The prophet has spoken. Hallelujah. Yeah. The prophet has spoken. Amen. The prophet has already know what I'm about to say before I even say it. Amen. There is so much. <laughs> to to even talk about in there it's um it's really sad i feel um compassion uh for that woman that's standing there and for other people at the same time i'm angry hearing that um because of the level of manipulation that's that's taking place in that um but you have people it's another example um as much compassion as i feel at the same time they're that are itching ears being scratched um, being told what they want to hear. And in this particular church, uh, you'll hear on different clips and um, videos that they'll, the people will say, prophesy, prophesy. She's not speaking for God. This, this is all just catering to that person and saying empty, vain things, um, prophesying, uh, speaking on not on behalf of God, but speaking things that are um, ministering to someone on a carnal level, on a fleshly level, their lies, their manipulative, and then to abuse people in such a way that you would say, you have to break this, this covenant that's been put against you. I mean, even that, Dave, I mean, just listening to her and hearing it again, and I'm sitting here thinking, this woman is saying, in order for you to make a covenant, you have to bring a sacrifice. What about what Christ did? I thought that he made a covenant with his, his, with his people um, through what Christ did on the cross, that we, there is no more sacrifice that is needed as far as that's concerned. And that is being ignored. She's telling this woman and these other people, in order for you to be able to get what you need from God, you're going to have to financially give a seed of $1,500 to break off barrenness or infertility in your life, to break the altars down of these, these mythical altars that people are putting up against you. Um, and scripture in New Testament talks about this, that people, that the false teachers that will come, that they'll, they'll speak about myths. They'll, they'll perpetuate these mythological teachings, and that's what's going on with some of this stuff, is that this is perpetuation of mythology. Well, there's an altar against you, so you have to break it. In order for you to break it, you have to give a substantial seed. You have to give $1,500, and then to call these people mama and papa, and to say, well, the prophet has spoken. Again, Jesus is the final word. The In Hebrews 1, 1, I mean, this should help us to understand. It says long ago and in many ways that God spoke through his prophets in various ways. So that was in dreams and visions and other things. It goes on in the passage to say, but in these last days, God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other prophet that we need to listen to. 
He is the ultimate prophet. He is the final prophet. We have the word of God. So this is this is so abusive on so many levels of what's going on here with these people. And it's false teaching. She's standing in the in the office, she says, of a prophet, and she's saying, in order for me to break these things, who are you to stand in such a place? You're not the one that breaks those things. Christ is the one who has done that. So it's almost as if they're they're usurping that place once again of God. Um I don't know what your thoughts are, Dave, but that's just some observations I had. No, that's that's really good. I mean, again, we go back to what what does the Bible say? What does the word mean? You know, we we just talked about, you know, testing all things, being a Berean, receiving with gladness. And and then we see she says, I receive, I receive. Well, receive what? Right. Receive this woman's thoughts. But where if we just stop and ask a question where was any mention of scripture where i i'm i'm still waiting i'll I'll keep waiting that there was none okay there was no mention of scripture there was no no explanation of scripture you know and then she says oh well the, towards the end there she says oh well the prophet already knew what i was going to say before I even said it, okay, so now you're saying that this prophet knows everything. He, he knows what you're thinking before you even think it? What? So, I mean, you're almost describing a level of uh, to that, that only belongs to God, not to us. So, I mean, that's God is the one who knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts before we think them. And, uh, you know, he knows the motivations of our hearts. And, but, and yet you're describing that that aspect of God's attributes and character to to a prophet that's that's really weird so you know we we can't we can't do that that's the problem with you know subjective feelings versus objective truth we have absolute truth as that's what i was talking about earlier we we don't have to you know believe these teachers because what they're saying it doesn't accord with the word of God, and we have to be so careful today about this. We we desperately have to ask the question: What does the word of God say? What does the word of God mean in context? And and as we do that, we we you you can clearly see that these teachers aren't leading you to the path of righteousness in the word. Instead, what they're doing is they're leading you away from God. They're, they're leading you away from the, the rivers of life in the treasure of Christ himself revealed in the word. And what God desires to do is he desires to teach us from his word and to send us to, to, to leaders that aren't going to lead us away from the truth, but lead us into the truth. They're, they're going to teach us. They're going to open the word. They're going to say, no, this is what scripture says. Uh, they're even going to lovingly you know, correct us when we need the correction because they care about us. Uh, you know, it's it's a kindness from God when we get corrected by by somebody who who knows more than us. And there's plenty of people 
let's face it, that, that have been walking with the Lord long, longer, that have been reading Scripture and studying it and studying all sorts of things much longer than, than, than I have, than Don has, than, than other people have. And we need that in our lives. We need that kind of correction. Instead, what you have with these people is the opposite. They are, they are blatantly just saying whatever they want, like, like this lady, um, Lovey Passion and Prophetess Lily Java, like I mentioned. And, and, and she is saying, look, th this man, like I was just mentioning, this man called and knew exactly what I was saying before I said it. And I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goofy, that's the ultimate in goofiness if, if we're just honest here. You know, and if that, if that doesn't get the red flags in your, in your brain, if you're not seeing the red flags there, then, then you need to start seeing those red flags because there's nothing wrong with the desire to get married. The, the problem is, is that this lady that's speaking, this Lily Java, what she's doing is she's feeding on everybody's base desire. Everybody, I don't know of a single lady that doesn't want to get married and have kids. Uh, even even men, they want to have kids. They they want to have a wife. You know, for some people though, they 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 never find that person. Um, there is a gift of the Bible talks about in First Corinthians seven. There is a gift of singleness. So it's not even just what about what about that? Instead, this this woman is just receiving whatever this Lily Java says, and and we have to ask ourselves. What is what does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? And and so we have to go back to that because this is the danger of of teachers like this, false teachers like this. Um, so we so we have to desperately be Bereans and understand that God is God has spoken, and we're not being judgmental when when we hold those teachers up to the Word of God. We're we're actually being loving. We're doing the most loving thing that we can uh and by the way we're actually commanded to do this in ephesians five eleven to expose the works of darkness to contend for the contend for the truth jude 3 and uh, uh to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have in first peter three fifteen, and to do it with gentleness and respect so no i think that's really good what you said because um one of the biggest things in in this movement um and we're talking about is that people are more inclined to um, believe what is spoken to them and in a in a positive way and is set, stated to be prophecy and they don't even know what scripture says and, I, and i'm not saying that to be mean or belittling i mean i was one of those people that was biblically illiterate and thought i knew the voice of god on my own because it was so encouraged you you hear the voice of god for yourself but it wasn't really encouraged or emphasize you need to know what scripture says um instead you're just kind of using scripture as a means to an end for you to hear the voice of god for yourself and we're not instructed to do that and we can fall into massive error when we don't even know what the bible says to begin with and then if we think we're hearing the voice of god for ourselves or someone else's prophet saying they're prophesying over us um they could be telling us something that completely contradicts scripture <laughs> and then we don't even know that and then where is the contentment i know you wrote a book about this just a little plug um where is the contentment for this woman 
and we'll move on to Catherine Crick in a minute, but where is the contentment for what if God doesn't have a husband for her? What if she never has children? I mean, God's not obligated to, to give us the desires that we have, the, all the desires that we have. He's not obligated to do that. Um, there are some people that get married and some people don't. There's some people that have children and some people don't. And ultimately, as believers, we are to find our contentment and our peace and our hope in Christ. In regardless, if we ever get those things that we're asking for or that that we desire, that our desire above all things should be him. That should be our desire. Um so with our with our final clip, there's two of them that are going together. Uh, we're going back to Catherine Crick, and this will be our last clips that we share to look at, and then we'll talk some about um, a healthy church. We've we talked a little bit about this here, but um, the final clip comes from Catherine Crick. She recently taught about this, and it has to do with giving, um, but she is re-emphasizing the importance of giving financially, sowing a seed in order to maintain or to keep your deliverance. Word for a person. Sometimes in the middle of deliverance, someone who is anointed, who hear, is hearing from God, who has a prophetic anointing, God will reveal to them this person, the, the, the key that's unlocking them is to sow into the kingdom of God. And we should, we should be humble and receive this. Hallelujah, I received direction. The devil is able to keep so many people in the church in bondage because there's just so much complaint. So many complainers that don't want to follow instructions from God. But the, the, the people in the kingdom of darkness, they're all, they're all ready to follow instructions. They're all ready to make sacrifices. They take it seriously. But the people in the church many times are just complainers. We got to take God seriously. Amen? Amen. Receive the prophetic instruction. Be humble. And also sometimes it might not come from a prophetic instruction. Sometimes you'll feel convicted yourself. Sometimes you can know, man, I've had, there's so much witchcraft that I've done or that's been in my past and my family. I need to sow into the kingdom of God. I need to make sacrifice. There's so much demonic reaping in my life. I need to sow into the kingdom of God to get all this reaping out. Sometimes the conviction will come to you. For many of you, it's coming to you now. Your eyes are opening up. Seeing that this has held you back. That this is the key. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I remember one time. Um, I ministered a couple years ago now, it was, almost two years ago in January. I was ministering in Houston, Revival is now, and this woman brought her young son, like eight or nine years old, I would say, and um, she said to me, she says, I've been to deliverance minister after deliverance minister, and the demons aren't leaving him. They're praying for him, but he just manifests. He just keeps on manifesting, and they don't ever leave him. This is not just going to any old church. This is going to deliverance ministries. So she says this to me. I pray over the boy. And as I pray over the boy, and I see him still manifesting, God reveals to me, God speaks to me, that this is deeper. Demonic bondage. 
all of a sudden, he, God speaks to me, like prophetically, he revealed to me that she had sewed into psychics, uh, given to psychics. So I just asked her, I say, did you happen to go to psychics? Yeah. Did you give money to the psychics? She said, yeah. I say, like a lot? She says, like hundreds and hundreds. And God revealed to me right there, this is the key that is unlock, gonna unlock freedom for her son. Because this is generational. It got passed down to her son. For her to sow into the kingdom of God. And I just told her that, and I, and I told her to sow into the kingdom of God, to where God's power is. It's not about giving to a minister or something. It's about the principle of sowing into God's kingdom where his anointing is. And so I just left her that instruction. Just, I gave her free will. I didn't say, are you going to do it? I just, I just shared that with her. It's key. And then I moved on. There were so many people manifesting. Deliverance everywhere is happening. So I go on praying for other people. And all of a sudden, she, she runs to me. And she's standing here with her boy. He was laying on the ground before, manifesting. Demons speaking out of him, laughing through him. He's standing here. And full of peace looking and she says he's set free he says she says i i just pulled up on my phone push pay for fivefold church and i just immediately sewed right there and she goes right after i did that he started i believe it was coughing up demons and then he was set free so uh, once again Catherine crick is talking about um sowing a seed uh, for deliverance and she's talking about you know if telling the people if, if you've have done witchcraft or been a part of witchcraft or something then you you know you may be having god convict you saying i need to sow and where my, my question would be where is the call to repent i mean over and over again in the epistles for example paul when he addresses even things such as sorcery he lists that in galatians 5 when he's talking about the works of the flesh sorcery witchcraft is listed in one of those He's not telling the people as an apostle, you need to sow a seed. For however much financial money you spent on those services, you need to sow big time in order for you to have breakthrough. What she is doing is she is putting bondages on people. She is putting burdens on people that they can't, they can't already meet. They can't, they can't even carry those burdens. She's putting and shackling them with additional burdens. All these teachings produce bondage. And they're not biblical. She's not teaching them to repent. That's the, that. If she was a true minister of the word of God, the first thing she would say is, if you're engaging in witchcraft or the occult practices or things, let's go back to what scripture says, because this is what scripture has to say about it in Deuteronomy 18. This is what scripture has to say about it in these certain places. And the call to you is to repent. You are to turn from those ways and you're to turn back to God, ask him to forgive you and to have your mind renewed by the word of God. Instead, she manipulates people and she takes advantage of them. And she even tells them, she has later on, she tells them to bring their offering up and that they need to renounce and, and make all these confessions. And, and I'm thinking, uh, what kind of freedom does this bring? Um, for you to say these things to people. Uh, and if you're talking to born-again believers, how about not only saying, you know, how you're supposed to be sanctified, the, proce the process of progressive sanctification and what that looks like in the life of a born-again believer, but how about encouraging 
true believers in Christ saying, you've been delivered from the domain of darkness. You, you're no longer under the tyranny of Satan. He has no power over you. But you need to realize you face three enemies in this world. You, fl- you face the flesh, the world, and the devil. And the, the fight with the devil is from without, not from within for the believer. And this is what scripture has to say about this. And it tells us we have victory in Christ. And I believe that these types of teachings, as we've said before, Dave, I believe that the deliverance ministry, it diminishes the power of the word of God. It diminishes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It diminishes the power of the spirit of God in the life of a born again believer. And it elevates the power of the devil. It strips away the sovereignty of God. Not that God's sovereignty can be stripped away, but in the teaching of it, it gives sovereignty to Satan. It takes sovereignty away from God. And you're always putting the devil up in this place of authority that he does not have in a born again believer. And you're not emphasizing the power of God in the life of a born again believer. And then you're telling them, well, if you've been engaged in some of these practices, you're going to have to give a lot of money in order for you to seal your and to keep your deliverance. And I just find that egregious. I find it egregious teaching and it's unbiblical. And again, it's it's not agreeing with the truth of, of God's word. Yeah, what, what she really is talking about and doing is just more of the word of faith stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just, OK, well, just believe it. And it'll it'll come to be. Just believe what I'm saying. Just receive what I'm telling you. Just believe it, and God will act. Well, mm, what about what Scripture has to say? What about how God has revealed Himself? What again? What about what about those things? And you know, again, it's it sounds like I'm beating a dead drum, and that it's pointless to to say it, but. You have to say it again and again and again because these things really do matter because they – like you said so well earlier, Don, um, they affect – these things affect real people. There's hundreds of thousands if not millions and millions of people who are following these te- these types of teachings. And uh, so I mean and, – and the fact that we're commanded, commanded to, by God himself in his word, uh, Ephesians 5.11 – Second uh, Timothy two twenty four and twenty five correct opponents with gentleness Ephesians you know five eleven expose the worship of darkness Jude three contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints First uh, Peter three fifteen give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have do it with gentleness and respect um, why because Second Timothy three sixteen um, you know the word of God is true and living and abiding and and it it is eternal um, it, for Second Peter one three um, you know, the scripture is for our life and godliness. Uh, why? Uh, we can even say even more. Uh, Jesus says uh, many, many times it is written, or haven't you heard uh, to the religious leaders? Uh, he quotes the tense of a verb to uh, prove the, the validity and the reliability of the Old Testament. I mean, just, just a verb, a tense of a verb from the Old Testament. That's, that's how much Jesus believed the Bible. I mean, what about what about what these teachers have to say? Do they believe the Bible? I mean, it's a question. It's a really a rhetorical question because if they believe the Bible, they would teach the Bible. They would open the Bible. They would quote from the Bible. That's what a that's what a real teacher, what a real pastor, somebody who really loves the Lord. That's the difference. Is they will they won't. They will explain to you what the Bible says. 
they'll they'll help you to understand more of it and they'll point you from the bible to christ in responsible ways they'll explain the text and then they'll make a, a beeline as spurgeon said to the cross so that you know so you're not stuck in your despair but you're pointing to christ as the hope and uh, for all yeah. of life you know and and don't we need hope we need hope that's what makes these teachers so tragic that's what makes the the prosperity gospel word of faith nonsense uh, the new apostolic so tragic because people are attracted to that they're attracted to the the healing and the signs and the wonders and you know what people were attracted in Jesus day to to himself for that reason they they wanted the signs and they wanted the healings and they wanted the miracles of Jesus but they didn't want Jesus himself and and right. what Jesus had to do again and again and again is he had to give them hard words and whenever he gave hard words you see all these crowds they they followed him for the signs and the miracles and then what you see is Jesus will give a hard word count the cost follow me in all of life etc and so forth and what they do is they disperse they go away because they want Jesus the the giver of miracles and signs and wonders but they don't want the person they do not want the work of Jesus and why he came under the sentence of death Matthew 121 the incarnation I mean we're celebrating this right now in this season the incarnation, the virgin-born nature of Jesus, the, the sinless nature of Jesus, that he came un, as a ba born under the sentence of death in the manger. And that this, this church has taught this, that the very purpose of the incarnation is the, 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 that Christ would die for us. And that's what scripture very clearly tells us. And yet, where is that message in all of this? The very reason for the season, the very reason that we have hope. Where is that? And and then you have all these teachers that are offering false hope, no hope. Man, that is that is that is just tragic. I mean that that's that's the that's that's the most tragic thing about this deliverance movement, this this new apostolic reformation is people aren't helped. They're they're instead given a false gospel of um you know, here's here's the here's the miracles, here's the signs, here's the wonders. That's the thing that that makes me want to keep speaking up about this because it's no message, it's no hope. There's there's no gospel, there's no power, there's no there's no means for. Just like you know, you have to plug in. You know, like right now, if I don't have my laptop plugged into the wall, guess what? Uh, my my laptop's gonna die. This recording is gonna cease to happen. We, but we have, we are connected to something uh, so much greater than than the plug-in to the wall that I have for my laptop. We're plugged into the power supply of the God of heaven and earth. You know, He's the one that makes all has made all things by the word of His power. He's the one who upholds us. He governs the world by the word of His power. He's he's powerful. He's powerful enough to save. He's powerful enough to uphold us. He's powerful enough. To secure, hold us fast as a people of God. He's powerful enough to sanctify us by the word of truth. He's powerful enough to glorify a people for his own possession. He's powerful enough to safely bring them home to heaven. This is a God that we're talking about. 
And and we need to remember that over and against these false teachers because, I mean, these false teachers are giving people false hope and a false message based on a false experience and a false revival. And, and God is – if anything, we can say this. I'll say it. God is not pleased by these teachers. He is not pleased. We know that because of what he says about false teachers and, and what they do and leading people away from God. And we know where they come from. The Bible even talks about that. That's the amazing thing. Revelation 9 talks about how these things come up from the abyss. They come up from the abyss. What's in the abyss? Satan and his horde. Where are false teachers going to go? They're going to the, they're gonna go to the abyss. They're going to go to hell. Where do they emanate from? They emanate from the pit of hell. So, so we have to understand where they come from, what their design is, what their intent is. It's to deceive. It's to lead people away from God, away from, away from the Lord. In fact, in fact, even in even in First John, this comes to me right now. In First John, there's the the word antichrist. The antichrist are those who lead people away from from the Lord. There, I mean, there is the capital A antichrist, and then there's the lowercase antichrist. The antichrist that John is talking about are people that are false teachers that are leading people away from God. So these false teachers are antichrists according to God. They lead people away from the help, from the hope that is in the Word of God. And they do so because they're sent not from the Lord, because they're sent from the pit of hell. And they have a false anointing. <laughs> they have a false anointing. And the other thing, too, I thought was really interesting. One, one last point I want to point out with her clip. Notice how she, she sets the person up as their own savior. She tells them, if you want to be, to, you want to be delivered, then you have to do something. And so she's creating this works-based salvation or this works-based deliverance. You have to do something. The power's in your hands, and it, it comes through your money <laughs> uh, that you do this. And then that then if you do this, then you'll be blessed. And um, again, it, it's just it's very it's very sad and it's very upsetting to see things like this and then to see people so deceived um, into believing that. And it's a, it's a quick fix for them. I, I, th I think another argument for deliverance ministry is it's a quick fix and people don't want to hear about sanctification and they don't want to hear the fact that you're in a fallen world as a believer. You're in exile here, but you're a citizen in heaven. And that full reality is not here on earth right now. Um, it's true. You're a citizen in heaven, but um, just because Ephesians 2 says I'm seated with Christ doesn't mean I'm there right now. That's, that's a future promise that I have hope in and I look forward to because of what Christ did, his finished work, nothing of my own merit or anything I can do. So then you're telling people that are in this world, well, you just need to have this deliverance done. Well, you need to have a deliverance maintenance done every few months. Well, you just need to give this seed. You need to, you need to do these things. You just need to speak in tongues more. You need to walk the floor more. You just need to pray more. You just need to give more. You just need to shout more. You need to praise more. You need to do all these other things more. And then, then you'll get your breakthrough. And it creates you doing something. And instead of you being biblically discipled and told, you're going to go through sanctification while you're in this world as a believer. 
You're justified before Christ, but there are things you're going to go through. There's hardships you're going to go through. Jesus promised that there were hardships and difficulties that his his believer that his uh, people would go through, but he also promised that he would not leave us or forsake us, and that he would send the Helper to comfort us, to to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to conform us to the image of Christ. But that message is not popular because when you tell people they're going to suffer for the sake of Christ and that they're going to they're this is a, a journey that a, as a pilgrim that you're going through in your walk with Christ that there's going to be some hard difficult roads and there's going to be things that you're going to have to battle against but you haven't been left ill-equipped or without hope it's i think it's an easy fix or it's an attempt at an easy fix to tell someone, oh, you just need that devil cast out of you, and then all your problems will go away. Then you'll never deal with depression ever again. You, you'll never deal with anxiety ever again. And then you place a bondage and a burden on that person that's not true. Nobody can claim that they can go through this world and never be anxious about anything. I wish I could. I don't like being anxious. And I recognize that worry is a sin. That it's not what God, God wants us to bring our, cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He, he knows that there's going to be things that we face in this world. Paul acknowledged that he dealt with depression at times. I mean, re, read the, some of the things that, that Paul dealt with, for example. And he was a human being, a boarding believer and a human being. And he acknowledged his own weakness, his own sin in Romans 7 that he battled with. And, and realizing the hostility of the flesh versus the spirit against one another. And that the flesh is hostile against the things of the spirit. It doesn't want to obey God. But at the same time, that doesn't leave us hopeless. It, it helps us in scripture to understand, okay, you know, the battles are real. And God said they would be here. But his word tells us how to walk victorious. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to feel victorious all the time. It means that I am weak and I acknowledge that weakness and I acknowledge who is the one who strengthens me in that weakness and that my reliance is on Christ. And in those hard times, whatever that may be, that I have an eternal hope that I look towards and I have joy and peace with God and in God because his word promises those things. and all this is transient it's temporary it's all going to go away and um as second corinthians 4 i believe talks about that um we have been pre prepared for the there's a the, the all the things that we face in this world are temporary for um this momentary light momentary affliction has prepared for us an eternal weight of glory that we're looking towards those things because we're looking at christ we are not our own savior. There's no amount of money that you can give that will break off witchcraft or anything else that you've participated in. The call is to repent. Repent. If you're a believer, turn from those things. Ask God to forgive you. Renew your mind with the word. Get in a biblically sound church. Listen to proper biblical teaching. I guess this is a good way to segue into the end of this. Um, where we're talking about what do we look for in a biblically sound church. And so I want to share some of these things with you here. And again, this is not an exclusive list, but this was on um, Tim Challey's article that he covered, like I said, years ago about the Nine Marks Ministries. And these are the nine things, for example, that Nine Marks has pointed out that they believe need to be 
um, emphasized in a biblically sound church that a lot of churches have gotten away from. That's their idea. That's their uh, belief in that. Number one is expositional preaching, and I'll just list these. And um, Dave, if you want to expound on any of them, um, feel free to do that. But expositional preaching, what does that mean for those that may not know what that is? Or expository preaching. Um, it's where a passage is taken by the pastor and the pastor carefully explains the meaning of a passage and then applies it to the members of the congregation in a biblical way. Um, the point of a sermon then takes the point of a particular passage. This is in opposition to the topical preaching showcase in the majority of evangelical churches where Bible passages are woven together to support a pre-existing point. And Dave mentioned before, there's nothing wrong with having at some points a topical message, but the Bible has to be used in the proper context context in order for that to take place. Uh, number two, biblical theology. So this is not only emphasizing how we are taught, but also what we are taught. So, and, and this article says, in a sense, this should follow naturally from expository preaching because the careful exposition of a passage should lead to sound theology. If your theology is wrong, then it's going to cause all kinds of error in your life. And so that's why it's important to know what scripture says. Um, he says here, where there is poor exposition, we should expect to eventually find poor theology. Number three, biblical understanding of the good news. The gospel has to be foundational in the church. Uh, it is not a stepping stone or it's anything that we graduate from. Even as believers, we need to be continuously reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it, it's not something we get over. I don't know. I, I will never get over what, what Christ has done for me. I mean, the gospel is is so precious. It is what our hope is, is cemented in as believers. So we must be reminded of that. It's not just for us to minister to unbelievers. The gospel is, is always for us. Um, it's for believers and it's for us to minister to those who would have ears to hear. So there needs to be a proper understanding and uh, necessary emphasis on the full gospel. And by the way, the full gospel is not you have to do miracle signs and wonders. That's not the full gospel. The full gospel is focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ um, and, and doing that in accordance with Scripture. Um, and the gospel message is this, is that we are sinners who have rebelled against our Creator, but Jesus took the curse that was rightfully ours, and all that remains is for us to have faith in Him so God may credit Christ's righteousness to our account. And when we re when we de-emphasize, excuse me, when we de-emphasize sin and damnation to make the presentation more friendly and less offensive, we cease declaring the full gospel. Number four, biblical understanding of conversion. So um, if we're going to minister the gospel and be in a biblically sound church, a healthy church, then we also have to have a proper understanding of conversion. Conversion, um, according to Nine Marks, is a new birth from death to life and is a work of God. It is not merely a change of attitude or a change of affection, but a change of nature. Conversion does not need to be an exciting emotional experience, but does need to produce fruit to be judged a true conversion. Number five, biblical understanding of evangelism. This is very important. And for those who have come out of the movements like I came out of with the New Apostolic Reformation, evangelism has been um, twisted. Uh, there's power evangelism now. So if you go and minister like Bethel does and other people, power evangelism is giving a prophetic word or um, healing someone, doing a miracle, an alleged miracle or he healing. And I'm not saying that God doesn't heal or do miracles any longer because he does. 
But when I'm talking in the context of this, power evangelism is doing those things, and that's what's called evangelism. And then saying, oh, God loves you and has a plan for you, but you don't want to say anything offensive. Uh, you want to call the gold out of people, and you want to say good things to them rather than sharing the gospel with them, which is the good news to their bad news. And that's a far better gospel than power evangelism is. But the way we evangelize, according to Nymark, speaks volumes about how we understand conversion. If we believe that people are essentially good and are seeking Jesus, we evangelize using half-truths and tend to elicit false conversions. And I would agree with that. And he says, when we present a watered-down gospel, we end up with a watered-down church. We need to be faithful to present the full gospel, the good news with the bad, and leave the results to God. Because we don't save anybody. God is the one who saves. We are simply to obey and to proclaim the truth of the word of God. Number six, biblical understanding of membership. Church membership is a privilege and a responsibility and needs to be regarded as such. People should only be members if they are dedicated to the church in attendance, prayer, service, and giving to allow people to become and remain members for sentimental or other unbiblical reasons makes light of membership and may even be dangerous. Number seven, biblical church discipline. Uh, discipline guides church membership. The church has the responsibility to judge the life and teaching of the membership since they can negatively impact the church's witness of the gospel. Leadership need to be firm in discipline as this is an expression of love to the congregation. And I think it's safe to say that it's it's sometimes it's difficult to see churches that are practicing true biblical discipline these days and it not being abusive, um, but practicing and, and um, putting into effect what true biblical discipline is. Number eight, promotion of church discipleship and growth. Um, discipleship that causes Christians to live lives of increasing holiness. The emphasis on growth needs to be directed at holiness rather than membership. True discipleship produces strong, committed Christians that will present a clear witness to the world. And number nine uh, is biblical understanding of leadership. Um, it says here under nine marks, until recent times, almost all Protestants agreed that in church government, there should be a plurality of elders, which means that there should be an office of elder and not merely one or more pastors in positions of leadership. This is a biblical and practical model that has fallen out of favor in modern times. And again, there's other things such as the the communion, water baptism, that wasn't mentioned. And that was one of the things that um, that Tim Challies critiqued in this is saying that he feels like that they should have addressed that. But at the same time, Nine Marks was addressing the fact that these were some of the things that were a lost mark that need to be rediscovered. And that may be some, um, when I say that, I know for me, I have to be mindful of that, uh, using that language, because some of us that have come out of the NAR, we think, oh, you're talking about restoration of certain things. They're simply talking about that we need to get back to the the fundamental of what scripture teaches, um, not restoring um, things that um, scripture doesn't tell us need to be restored in that capacity, such as apostles and prophets. So was there anything else that you wanted to add to that, Dave? I thought it was a good article just to kind of overview some of the important factors or things that we look for in a healthy church. No, I, I think that's I think that's really good, you know. And it, and it also just highlights just what's wrong with this movement, you know. Mm. You, you we've talked about this many times about that that what we do with the Bible, it, it shows and it reveals what we believe about the Bible, and it's not just a problem in the New Apostolic Reformation. It's right. a problem in the evangelical and even Reformed Church, where mm -hmm. we have people who aren't putting into practice what. The word of god says 
And so you have light shows and you have an entertainment show. You have a seeker-sensitive model, although attract people. And, and we've seen the devastating effects that this is, has on the church when you engage in unbiblical uh, models of discipleship and evangelism. It perpetuates the problem of biblical and theological literacy, not even knowing key ideas and themes about the Bible or what or what what the even the most basic meaning of words mean. And and then you get accused, I do, well you're just talking over people's heads. And even if you explain it simply to people, um, you know, break it down. This is what this means and this is why it matters and and, and other things. But the, but the thing is is these things really do matter. Um, you know, the, Jesus is the head over the church. Um, he is the chief shepherd. This is First uh, Peter 5, right? Um, he's the one, uh, Ephesians 5, he bled and died for the church to present her blameless, Paul says there. And so this is absolutely critical. Um, the central place of the word in the life of the church, it matters not only for the pulpit, it matters not only for the biblical counselor, it, it matters for every single Christian. Our fellowship is to be centered on the word with one another. Um, you know, we're to point people to Christ. We're, we're to encourage them in a loving manner to speak words that are edifying. Ephesians 4.29 um, and, and so many other passages, right? And and this these all these fifty one and other passages, you know, Galatians six one through two, bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The one and other passages, they're not meant to be lived in your coffee shop, you know, Bible study. They're meant to be lived in the context of the local church under biblically qualified male pastors. You know, and, and that's what's so egregious about this Catherine Crick. You know, she says that she's a pastor. Well, the very fact is, is even First uh, Timothy 3 and Titus 1, um, what does Paul say there? He says, a man, okay? That, that isn't, again, just to touch on what you were saying earlier, it doesn't minimize the place of a, of a woman. It actually elevates, Paul is elevating the role of a woman in that society because right. they didn't have any rights. They didn't have an ability to be educated. And he's yeah. saying a woman can learn. We, we see that if you don't think that a woman can be educated, then, then why were women sitting at the feet of Jesus learning? Right. You know, that, that Christianity elevates the role of women. And so what people hear when they say, well, a woman can't do this. Well, that's the feminist movement. That's not, that's not because of what the Bible is saying. That's because of our world. And we don't accommodate, we don't cave to what the world says. Right. We, and we should not be afraid uh, to confront the feminist, the feminism of our day that says a woman can do whatever she can do. A woman can do a lot of things. You know, great. Uh, can a woman get a, have a career and a job and, and get an education? <laughs> Hello? You know, um, yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Is there anything wrong with a woman working outside the home? No. You know, as long as a husband and a wife are on the same page with that, there's nothing right. in the Bible that, that says uh, – sometimes that's even a necessity 
um, because, you know, well, we live in a world that where costs are going up. And so sometimes sometimes things have to happen. Is it a good idea for a mom to be home with her children as they're growing up? And yeah, of course, you know, and, and, and so many other practical considerations. But the thing is, is those things require a husband and a wife to have that conversation you know, together, and even the wisdom of of the church to come alongside, you know, and the Bible has something to say about that, you know. the The point is, is is um, I like to say this, as Charles Spurgeon said, "I have a great need of Christ and a great Christ for my need." And I kind of took that quote and expanded on it. So here's the expansion of that quote. So I have a great Christ. I have a great need of Christ and a great Christ for my need, as Spurgeon said, but. As the Bible also says, I have a great need of one another, meaning that I have a need for you and you have a need for me because we need one we need Christ and we need one another. So it, it not only emphasizes the personal nature of our need for Christ, but also our corporate need for you know Christ and one another, which is so important. We so often miss that in our overly individualized uh, culture today where we focus on felt needs and my entertainment and my value and we miss the fact that it is truly Christ. It's Christ at the center of our personal life, of our corporate life, of our professional life, of all of life. As R.C. Sproul once said, all of life is before the face of God, Coram Deo. And so we have to remember that I need Christ, you need Christ, together we need Christ, and we come together to remind one another, to encourage one another, to be instructed, to even confront one another. And that isn't, that is actually the most loving thing. Some people, church, church yep. discipline, I'll just say this, it can be unbiblical if it goes from step one, the private nature of it, which is what we're to do, we're to go to our brother and said, if we skip the private nature and go immediately to excommunicating, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible doesn't specify a certain time. So you go to somebody and then you're supposed to go to the next second step and then the third step. And then you know, th these things require – and most churches that are healthy and sound, they have policies. There's time. You know, uh, there's time. There's time given. There's patience. There's care. There's consideration. The, everybody is different. You know, um, the only time that we're ever told to immediately excommunicate somebody – is um it's in titus titus 3 9 i believe it is where you're to warn a device a person once and then remove them that that's the yep. only time the only time that we're giving permission by god that elders are given biblically let me say that again the only time that biblically qualified male pastors are given um a command from god in his word to remove somebody is to warn them first and then remove them if they're divisive. So that's the only time. Other than that, the process of church discipline should be intentional. It should be slow. It, the goal of church discipline, it must be said, isn't just to pick on the person even there. The goal is to see that person who is in a pattern of unrepentant sin to repent and be restored to fellowship first with god and christ and then with the church itself so 
Um, I, I only say that to say that when people hear about, you hear about cases where you snap your fingers and that happens, a church discipline, that is not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. The, the process of church discipline should be slow. It should be intentional. The only case is, is if there's somebody that's divisive. They should be warned, Paul says, and then they should be removed. But even the removal should have the goal of them being restored to fellowship first with God and Christ and then with the church. And if that's not the goal, if that's not the motivation, then that is spiritual abuse. I agree. Don, do you have any last thoughts before we wrap up? Now, I, I appreciate this conversation because I think it's really important. Um, and I know that I talked to quite a few women that have come out of the similar type of uh, beliefs and practices I have and other ladies too, new age and other things. And um, uh, one of the things that uh, is a struggle for, for them is um, so much confusion and um, feeling almost lost and not knowing uh, what to look for in a, in a church, what, um, wh where to even find a church, uh, if they can even trust someone again. And I, and I encourage them, you know, it may take some time to find a biblically sound church, but they're out there. It's, it's not a lost cause and it's very important. I encourage them. You need to find a biblically sound church. You, you cannot, we are sheep. Um, I told a, a lady recently that I had been talking to and discipling and, um, she was very, very discouraged, um, just having a really hard time finding a biblically sound church. And I sympathize with that because it took a while for us to do the same um, and to to be somewhere where, I, I mean, for me personally, that I wasn't bursting into tears, leaving a service going, I feel like I'm starving, spiritually starving to death and feeling like I'm just in a, in a light show and um, just the same same cycle, different church of going and same thing happening, same man like just all the things that going on that I was that we were accustomed to. And so I have sympathy for that. Um, and when you find finally find a place that's solid and teaching the word, it's it's like you can breathe finally and you, and you are at peace. I, I don't even know. I can't even fully explain it very well, but just to know that you're being taught the word and that you're, you're seeing fruit in your life, that God is doing a work in you, um, that only he can do. But we were talking about this, uh, recently and, um, she was asking me, she said, you know, what are your thoughts? She's like, I just want to give up, but I know that's not the right thing to do. And thankfully she has a godly husband who said, we need to find a biblically sound church. He, he was not, he basically was like gently correcting her as well. And she was asking me and I said, you're a sheep and sheep don't pastor themselves. Um, you, you cannot pastor yourself. It is dangerous to do that. You have to be a part, we are told and instructed and commanded in scripture to be a part of the gathering of the assembly. We're not to forsake it. We're to be part of a local body of believers and true doctrine, sound doctrine matters and theology matters. And that's why it's so important to be under um, biblically taught pastors, to have a plurality of elders, um, to because they're holding that pastor accountable and they're all able to teach the word and to minister and um, to be in a place where you're being fed properly to where you can also discern properly what is true and what is error and and as sheep we need that well, we are we are we are shepherded by the good shepherd by Jesus Christ and he has also placed shepherds in this earth to help to, for the local flocks to keep them 
protected against wolves, to give them the word of God, to, to give them nourishment, spiritual nourishment, um, to help them to understand and to help provide proper discipline and such according to scripture. So I, I really appreciate this conversation because I think it's, it's needed and I think it's going to be helpful to those that, that hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to speak to pastors and elders for a minute because, you know, we, you who are pastors, you know, the only reason that you, I remember saying this to a pastor one time, he was shocked. I was shocked that he was shocked that I said this. The only reason that you can continue to remain a biblically qualified pastor is because of the gospel. Because you continue to see your need of the grace of God and you've postured yourself before God as a needy beggar, as Luther said it, in need of the grace of God. And and the the main reason that spiritual abuse is so rampant and and that people leave the church is because of that. Um, so, so if you're a pastor, if you're, you're a ministry leader, you need the grace of God just as much as the people that you're ministering to. In fact, you're to be the example, Paul says in first Corinthians 11 verse one, you're to be the example. You're to be living a life worthy of imitation. And, and so you need to posture yourself every day before the cross as a needy beggar, as Luther said, and need of the grace of God. And, and, and if that's not happening, maybe it's time to get some help. And that's okay. So I want to say that to, to those in ministry. But I also want to say, if you're experiencing hurt and pain, and your pastors or the elders aren't taking that seriously, you need to leave that church. I can say that, and we'll have more to say about that maybe on another episode here soon. I think we're going to talk about spiritual abuse some more. But you need to you need to take that seriously. Um, you know, the the more healthy the church is, the more that they'll have policies and procedures. Um, Any more these days, they do where you can address that with with the pastor and they will encourage you in a membership meeting to have that conversation because it's a rampant problem. And so the more healthy the church, look for that. As you're as you're looking at a church, ask yourself, what are the policies? How are they going to care for me if I if I do get under church discipline? And then how else are they going to deal deal with if there is church uh, spiritual abuse happening how are they going to deal with that these are two very important questions to ask when you're considered joining any church and i think that's especially true as you said for those who've come out of this movement because there is so much as we've talked about so much spiritual abuse but the, but it's not just the spiritual abuse i also want to say isn't just happening in in the new apostolic reformation it is happening in churches all over the country and right. all over the world and so so if if that's happening go have that conversation with another pastor and if they're if 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 they're not willing to listen then it's time to leave then you can leave but you need to have the conversation you need to tell somebody and then you need to be ready to have that conversation with the person that that you that abused you you know it's fair everybody has the right to to not only confront their in the church they have the right to not only 
be heard by the by the by the person that abused them, but but the person being accused of abuse has the right to respond, and and we and both have a right. There's there's not one of us that's that's better than each other. We we all sin in so many ways. We still have remaining sin, but the but our the church has the message of the gospel. We have the hope of Christ revealed in the Word. That's why we need biblically qualified elders, and we need a plurality of them. And so I say that to say, as somebody who's grown up in the church, I've seen a plurality of elders become the good old boys club. And if you think that there's a good old boys club happening in your church where you can't go to your pastor, that's something – or pastors, that's something you need to talk with with the pastors. And that needs to be addressed because – the pastors are to be the example. They're to be the shepherds. They're to care. And if they're not willing to hear that, then you have grounds to leave. But you need to go and have that conversation. And and sometimes what's going to happen is you're going to get told, and I've experienced this. Um, can't can't get into too many details about it. But personally, I've experienced it where I've gone to a pastor, shared my concerns. Maybe I was a little too passionate. Maybe I didn't do it as godly as I could. Um, it, it can be difficult, okay? But I went and I shared and I was to shut down and we ended up leaving that church. That That's what we should do though. We need to have those conversations and they're hard. There's going to be, there's going to be anger. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain expressed. That's why we need to be taking our own sin, our own stuff seriously. And it's hard. It's hard when you experience spiritual abuse. Um, there's gonna be there's gonna be misunderstanding, and misunderstanding can can lead to a lot of issues and pain. But in but like just to touch on this movement, there's a lot of people that experience church real spiritual abuse, domineering, uh, false gospel, no gospel at all. And we got to be clear about that. But we also have to be clear on the outside. It's not just a problem in the New Apostolic Reformation. It's a problem in the in the professing church. And we need to go to those who we that have hurt us, and we need to maybe go bring somebody with us and have those conversations and and work this out. Um, because we we have a witness. We're we're to be a witness to a watching world of the love of God in Christ. Um, we're not to we're not to point fingers or to deal with things as they really are and and um, with the gospel uh, the gospel brings us to God it reconciles us to God and that provides the basis for our you know being able to be reconciled to one another and so so we have to we have to work these things out they require a great deal of wisdom they require a great deal of care but that's why God has given us shepherds um, so don't don't leave the church. That's what I would say. Don't leave the church if you've been hurt and you've experienced the, this this pain and this hurt of spiritual abuse. I can say, as somebody who has experienced that, um, it's hard. It's even it's even hard to have these conversations. That's why you, on the other side you're going to need some help. But that's okay too that you need help. That's why God has given us the church. So don't. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Just because of some leader who might have hurt you and maligned you, they're not working. For, they're not. 
they're not representing Christ in the way that, that he wants. And so understand that all of us, as Luther said, are at the same time saint and sinners. And that we, we sometimes, in the church especially, we inflict the worst amount of pain. Because we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. But yet we also some too often forget that we are all a work in progress, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And this is especially something that is painful. It is something that is hurtful. It's something that I can say I've experienced personally. It's something that I can say I've, I've, I've had help with. And, I, and I'll, it took a long time. And it's going to take time. But, but take the time to, to get the help that you need. And, um, you know, it's, it's worth it you know, in the end, and, and you'll come out and you'll be able to be compassionate, not just say, you know, I really understand what you mean there when you, when I go through that. That's not what I'm saying. Every individual's experience of spiritual abuse is tragic and it's hurtful. So I'm not saying that I understand your specific spiritual abuse, but I do understand how it feels. And I know that it, it's hard to even sit and to listen to a pastor who is spiritually abusing you or isn't caring for you or providing any level of care for you. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening or watching this episode of Contending for the Word. Uh, we'll definitely keep coming back to this uh, topic. And until next time, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, and follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, or X. We appreciate your support.